for joining in to another episode of Barbershop Sports Talk on this Saturday afternoon with me, your host, Daryl D. Lane, as always. Whether you're listening via SoundCloud, the LM Radio Network, or the Columbia, South Carolina Radio app, I want to thank you for making me and this show part of your day. Coming up, at the middle of the hour, we're going to have Mason McKenrick, Went to John Carroll, John Carroll alum. I don't know if I should call him John Carroll alum. I don't know if he actually graduated. But we're going to have Mason on. Mason was an All-American linebacker at John Carroll. Really good player at the Division III level. But was an undrafted free agent signing by the Baltimore Ravens in the Baltimore Ravens camp. Got let go, but he's working hard right now. He's training, so I'm going to talk to him, ask him, what he's been training, what's his regimen been like, just overall the experience from you know going to D3 to the NFL and just changing drastic cultures like that. So can't wait to get into it with Mason about that. That's going to be really exciting. But first, I, w- I want to talk about this with the NBA. The NBA just dominates the offseason. Dominates the offseason. And I just want to emphasize this. And this is a narrative I really want to keep pushing because everybody can take note of us. We don't talk about any other sport in the offseason like we do the NBA, where players are going, player transaction, free agent signings, trades. It's crazy. I'll give the NFL this. They dominate the regular season in ways the NBA can't even imagine. Even the postseason, people say, I only watch basketball when it's postseason time, right? Even the NFL, I'd say the NFL has a better postseason product than the NBA. But offseason? Oh, my God. The NFL could take notes from the NBA player transaction, free agency, just all the drama and all the intensity, and just, just all the fanfare that it builds. And I just want to say this, like, this week in sports, there are a lot of stories. Manny Machado gets traded to the Los Angeles Dodgers. Bryce Harper wins the home run derby. There's the ESPYs going on at ESPN. 
Le'Veon Bell and the Steelers can't agree on a contract extension. Wimbledon is going on in tennis. Serena Williams loses in the finals at Wimbledon. Roger Federer loses in the quarters at Wimbledon. And Novak Djokovic was one of the big stories at Wimbledon as he ends up being Rafael Nadal in the semis, comes back from a shoulder injury that had him down because a couple years ago he was the best tennis player undisputed in the world. Then he comes back, gets a shoulder right, beats Nadal, then wins in the finals. And France won the World Cup. But all anybody and everybody is talking about is Kawhi Leonard of the San Antonio Spurs being traded to the Toronto Raptors. And here's the funny thing about this. Kawhi Leonard was traded for DeMar DeRozan. And here's the thing about both these players. Nobody cares about DeMar DeRozan. I'm pretty sure most people outside of Canada and Compton, where DeMar DeRozan's from, knows who DeMar DeRozan is. Or DeMar DeRozan is better known for getting obliterated by LeBron James in the Eastern Conference. And Kawhi Leonard is one of the most boring, uninteresting superstars I can ever imagine. He doesn't talk, and I think he's the only NBA player that I know that nobody talks about his shoes, nobody talks about his swag, nobody talks about his merchandise. Everybody talks about the Kobe's, the KD's, the LeBron's, the, the Hardens, the Westbrook's, the Curry's, right? Nobody's talking about Kawhi. And Kawhi's better than most of the people I just named. All we're talking about is Kawhi Leonard being traded to the Toronto Raptors for DeMar DeRozan. And it beat all the storylines I mentioned. It beat Wimbledon, the World Cup, Le'Veon Bell, Ben Roth. Like, all of that stuff got thrown away the wayside. NBA offseason. Nothing's better than it. And it's not even close. And it's not even close. But here's my thing with the NBA right now. And I've noticed this with fans and friends and people that I've talked to. Everybody has this false narrative that the NBA is going to be boring during the regular season, during the postseason this year, right? Like the trades and stuff, they're exciting. The free agency moves, LeBron James going to the Lakers, it's exciting. But everybody's like, the Warriors are just going to win the finals in, in anyway. What's the point? Well, you know what's going to happen. And it's just like, dude, you're looking at it the wrong way, man. You're looking at it the wrong way. Lots of times in life, I think people get too caught up in the end result. People forget about the process. They forget about the journey. They forget about the experience. Right? The pathway that it took. With every beginning and every end, there's a story. That's what makes it a book. That's what makes it a movie. That's what makes it entertainment, right? People get so focused on the beginning and the end, they forget like the, everything in between. awful would life really be if everybody just focused on the end result because here's what the end result in life is we're literally born then we live then we die and i believe that's a quote from charlotte's web with the pig i forget the pig's name the pig was going to get cut up but i don't want to digress but that that really is how life is born we live we die so just imagine if you just lived life that way. You're like, oh, I was born, I'm just looking to live life, and then I'm going to die, right? You'd just be sad, agitated, and depressed. And you'd be a pissed off, unhappy human being. That would be no life to want to live. How would you feel out there? You have a friend, right? 
and you're like to your friend on a Friday or Saturday night, yo, man, we going to the club, we going to the after party, we are getting litty tonight, we going to the bar, we're doing everything. Hookah bar, anything you can think of, that's fun, right? Concerts, anything. Vacation, and then your friend's like, nah, man, why go out? Why should we do anything? We're just going to die anyway. You would be like, man, that's not my man's. That has to be your man's over there. That's not my man's. That has to be your man's over there. That's what you would be saying. And that's how I feel some NBA fans are acting right now. Like, nah, man, why does it matter if we watch the NBA? What's the point? The Warriors, they have Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Kevin Durant, Draymond Green, and DeMarcus Cousins. And Andre Godagla, who's a finals MVP, comes off their bench. And they have Sean Livingston, who's pretty good, too. What's the point? The Warriors are just going to kill everybody, and they're going to win. And I'm like, if you're just focusing on that, then it, will, it won't be fun. But that's not what you should be focusing on. That's just the end result. That is just seven games. That's, let's say they sweep. That's just four games. What about the other 100 that it took to get there? How can you feel that way that there's no point of watching because the Warriors are so dominant? If you're a fan of basketball, if you love basketball, if you appreciate the sport and everything it provides. This NBA season is going to be the most exciting I can remember in years. There are three teams that can win the East. Now, let's think about that. When was the last time we said that about a team in the East? There are three teams that are legit contenders for the Eastern Conference. Since LeBron was in Cleveland in 2008, right? Maybe that's the last time we said that. This year, we had three legit teams. The Boston Celtics, Kyrie Irving, Gordon Hayward are coming back to a team with Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Al Horford. The team's going to be loaded. They're Brad Stevens, one of the most exciting young coaches in basketball. The Toronto Raptors, who had 59 wins last year. And then they had Kawhi Leonard to a 59-win team replacing Kawhi Leonard for DeMar DeRozan. And Kawhi Leonard, make no mistake about it, is a top three player in the NBA. He's better than Russell Westbrook. He's better than James Harden. He's better than Anthony Davis. He's better than Steph Curry. He's better than Giannis Antetokounmpo. He's better than Joel Embiid. Who, he's better than whoever you want to name. This side of Kevin Durant and LeBron James. Those are the only two people that are better than Kawhi Leonard. And the Philadelphia 76ers. Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid. Two of the best young stars in the NBA. It's going to be a dogfight out east. And here are the other teams in the east you should look at. The Wizards have their own little big three going on in Washington. John Wall, Dwight Howard, Bradley Beal. The Pacers, they have another year of growing with Victor Aladipo. The Detroit Pistons with new head coach Dwayne Casey, coach of the year. And Dwayne Casey should not have been fired by the Toronto Raptors. And if he had Kawhi Leonard, watch what Dwayne Casey would have done with Kawhi Leonard. But I, I don't want to get off a tangent there because I'm going to get pissed off because they did my man Dwayne Casey wrong. But I'm going to let, let the Raptors off the hook right now for that. But you're going to have Dwayne Casey with Blake Griffin, Andre Drummond, Reggie Jackson. That's a nice little core in Detroit. It's a nice little core. The Bucks. they have Giannis Antetokounmpo, who's going to make a claim for the MVP this year. One of the most exciting young players in the NBA. He's putting up like 28 last year. The West is going to be exciting too. I know you focus on the Warriors, but even the Warriors are exciting in their own way. They're the best team ever. They're the team that you love to root against. LeBron James and the Lakers. You have the best brand in the NBA and the best player in the NBA. 
together. The Lakers are going to be a, a rock star show. It's going to be like an international circus. You have the Rockets, the only team that pushed Golden State last year. And by the way, the Houston Rockets were up 3-2 against the Golden State Warriors and had a Game 7 on their home court. And some people, and lots of people, believe that if Chris Paul is healthy for that game and plays, the Rockets beat the Warriors. And the Western Conference playoff race, Lord have mercy. Lord have mercy. It's like Christmas, man. It's like Christmas, man. It's like Christmas. These are the teams, and I've been thinking about this a little bit. These are the teams, that, the eight teams that I have seated one through eight right now for the Western Conference. This is all subject to change, right? But right now, this is what I'm looking at. Golden State has the one. San Antonio has the two. Don't sleep on San Antonio. DeMar DeRozan, Pau Gasol, Greg Popovich, LaMarcus Aldridge. They will be dominant. They will be a very good regular season team. The OKC Thunder, Russell Westbrook, Paul George, the Los Angeles Lakers, LeBron James, the Houston Rockets, five, New Orleans Pelicans, six, the Utah Jazz, seven, the Denver Nuggets, eight. And here are the teams I left out. The Portland Trailblazers, who have Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum, had won 49 games last year with a third seed in the West. I have them out the playoffs. The Minnesota Timberwolves, who made the playoffs last year with Jimmy Butler, one of the best two-way players in the NBA. Carl Anthony Towns, one of the best young big men in the NBA, bar none. And Andrew Wiggins, one of the better young stars in the NBA. You have the Phoenix Suns with Devin Booker. And I was just talking to my dad last night. I was like, Dad, I think Devin, Devin Booker's James Harden, but more athletic. And my dad's like, nah, man, Devin Booker can handle the ball better than James Harden, pass the ball better than James Harden, defend better than James Harden, defend better than James Harden, shoot better than James Harden. Devin Booker is a bad man. And if DeAndre Aiden becomes what we think he possibly could be, Phoenix will be a team to watch out for, especially with the addition of Trevor Reese as a 3 and D defender and Josh Jackson. And then the Dallas Mavericks, Luka Doncic, the guy out of Europe, DeAndre Jordan, you still have Dirk Nowitzki, you still good for 18 to 20 points in this league, coached by Rick Carlisle, and they have Dennis Smith Jr., exciting young player. So the NBA is going to be exciting. So don't say the NBA is not going to be exciting because of the Warriors. And who knows what's going to happen with the Warriors. The Warriors' canvas has not been paid in yet. They're adding Boogie Cousins to that team. Boogie Cousins, we all know, can be volatile. That could blow up in the Warriors' face. We don't know how that's all going to work out, right? We don't even know if Boogie Cousins is going to come back from his torn Achilles the way he's supposed to and be a viable player. For all we know, Boogie Cousins could come back, and I don't think that's going to be the case, but Boogie Cousins could come back and be Kwame Brown <laughs> and just not be able to play anymore. That's what could happen. And if that happens, the Warriors come way back down to earth, okay? Way back down to earth. Can't say the NBA is not exciting. It's like if somebody, t I mean, and I don't, it's like with people in spoilers, right? Somebody tells you if the main character died at the end, right? You don't want to watch the movie anymore? That's silly to me. Don't you want to know what, what relationships, what relationships did the character develop throughout the course of the movie? Like, who did the character meet? Who did the character come come in contact to? What was the character's story? What was the character's life? Who killed the character, actually? Who did the character fight with? What was the climax? All that stuff. There's lots of stuff more important than the end. It's the meat. It's the, the middle. It's the foundation. Come on. Now, I want to talk about Pittsburgh Steelers with Le'Veon Bell, Ben Roethlisberger, 
And I think the Pittsburgh Steelers made the right decision by not giving Le'Veon Bell the contract that he wanted to. And let me first say this about Le'Veon Bell. I support players getting their money. You know, put their body on the line, put their brains on the line, put their legs on the line, put everything on the line in football. Don't get guaranteed contracts. I get you want your money. You want to get your film, that generational wealth. I completely understand that. But from a business perspective, Le'Veon Bell is not worth top offensive player money, which was which was reportedly what he wanted. He's not worth that. And I know people get caught up in, you know, the receiving yards. To me, when I watch Le'Veon Bell, first of all, he's unreliable. Misses games for violating the league's substance abuse policy with weed, marijuana, and whether you think marijuana should be legal or not, whether you smoke marijuana or not, in the NFL, you're not allowed to do it. So when you do it, you can't play. And the best ability is availability. And he missed games for being hurt. Running backs are being devalued. Lots of them are out the league before they're 30. Look at DeMarco Murray. He had like 18,000 yards with the Dallas Cowboys, went to the Tennessee Titans. Now he's out the league. You can find a running back in the NFL draft every year. Kareem Hunt was a third-round pick, and Kareem Hunt was tearing it up in the NFL. Uh, Alvin Kamara was a third-round pick. A running back does not guarantee you a Super Bowl. Having a great running back doesn't mean you're going to win a Super Bowl. The last time off the top of my head when a team with a superstar level running back that won the Super Bowl, and maybe I'm wrong on this, and please correct me if I am anybody out there, but Terrell Davis, Denver Broncos, like 98, 99, that's what I'm thinking. I don't necessarily, with just a truly bruised and dominating running game when Terrell Davis was the best player on the team, clearly. I don't count Jerome Bennis with the Pittsburgh Steelers that year or Marshawn Lynch. They weren't the best players on the team. They were helping being the engines, the driving force of the team, but they weren't the best player. Terrell Davis was the best player, the engine, the league MVP for God's sake. So, you don't, you, and historically, having a great running back has not meant a Super Bowl. Minnesota Vikings don't have a Super Bowl. They had Adrian Peterson. <laughs> Probably the great, maybe the greatest pure runner ever. This will win to the NFL. A good offensive line, protect the quarterback. A good defensive line, get after the quarterback. A great quarterback, obviously. That's what wins games in the NFL. The modern NFL was going to two-back systems, three-back systems. Running back by committee. The Patriots used their short passing game as their run game. All those two, three-yard bubble screens that, hit, they, that they hit, all those slants, it's basically their, their version of the running game. They use a short passing game to be their running game. No huddle, it's fast-paced. That's what the NFL is, just throwing the ball, pushing the ball downfield. It's not running it for 40 times a game. Here's a fun stat. Three out of the four last Super Bowl champions did not have an 1,000-yard rusher. The only team that did were the New England Patriots in 2016 when LeGarrette Blount had over 1,000 yards. And I don't think anybody is accusing LeGarrette Blount of being a top five running back. I don't think anybody's accusing him of being a top 10 running back. I think everybody thinks LeGarrette Blount is a system player that was bumped up by Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, Josh McDaniels, in that Patriots system. That's what I think. So with Le'Veon Bell, is he even a top 10 non-quarterback in the NFL? Just offensive side of the ball. 
And I'll tell you, I'll take Rob Gronkowski. I'll take Julio Jones. I'll take Antonio Brown, his own teammate. I'll take Odell Beckham. And I'm not done. I'll take Tyron Smith, left tackle for the Dallas Cowboys. Zach Martin, guard for the Dallas Cowboys. Travis Frederick, center for the Dallas Cowboys. Jason Kelsey, a center for the Philadelphia Eagles. Brandon Brooks, a guard for the Philadelphia Eagles. And Lane Johnson, a tackle for the Philadelphia Eagles. Is Le'Veon Bell even the best running back in the NFL? I'll take Ezekiel Elliott, I'll take Todd Gurley, and I'll take Le'Veon Bell third. And it's close with Le'Veon Bell and David Johnson from the Arizona Cardinals, in my opinion. What about the MVP of the team? I'll go Antonio Brown, who's in the MVP conversation at towards the end of last year's NFL season, Ben Roethlisberger two, and Le'Veon Bell three. The Pittsburgh Steelers will be fine without Le'Veon Bell. They have Ben Roethlisberger, two-time Super Bowl winning quarterback, Juju Smith-Huster, one of the best second receivers in the NFL. Antonio Brown, one of the best receiver in the NFL. And they have a rookie wide receiver, James Washington, out of Oklahoma State. That's probably going to be good, too, because the Pittsburgh Steelers draft every good receiver. And they have a good offensive line. The Steelers will be fine. The Pittsburgh Steelers will make the playoffs. They are in a division with the Cleveland Browns, who have won one game in the last two years. The Cincinnati Bengals, who haven't won a playoff game since... The 90s probably should be going back later in the Baltimore Ravens who have a putrid offense. Steelers are making the right decision. Hate to say it. Love Le'Veon Bell. I, I want him to get his money in the long run, but the Steelers are making the best organizational decision for themselves. Le'Veon Bell does not justify that type of money. Le'Veon Bell is not that type of player in my opinion. Now coming next on Barbershop Sports Talk, I'm going to tell you why. We need to stop crying about all this DeMar DeRozan stuff. Oh, DeMar DeRozan, he was lied to by the Raptors. By any Masai Ujiri, he was lied to. No, I'm going to tell you the deal on DeMar DeRozan. Coming up next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. with Barbershop Sports Talk. And coming up next, after our next break, we're going to have Mason McKenrick on the show. Yeah, Mason. Mason's going to work out after he's done coming on my show. So I really appreciate uh, Mason coming on. I'm going to love to do the interview with him. Can't wait to see what he has to say about a bevy of NFL topics, about his career, etc., etc. But we got to stop crying about DeMar DeRozan. And I was really thinking about this because if you don't know, when DeMar DeRozan was traded for Kawhi Leonard, right, he was talking about, oh, I was lied to by Masai Ujiri, the general manager for the Toronto Raptors. They said it wasn't in their plans that for me to be traded, right? And I'm just like, dude, you're a professional athlete. You make millions of dollars. You live in a nice house. And in lots of cases, and in your case, has like 100 $20 million contract? That's generational wealth for your family. Your kids' kids will never have to worry about a meal. Or at least they shouldn't. And you get paid millions of dollars. You get generational wealth to play a game. To put a ball in a basket. Let's think about that. Come on. Right? So... When you know the job, when you know that's what it is to be a professional athlete, you, you got to give it a break. You got to give it a rest. 
You're not risking your health like NFL players, like boxers, like MMA fighters. You have guaranteed contracts. You're just moving towns. And like I said, it's the life you chose. You're a professional athlete. And DeMar DeRozan be like, the Raptors told me they weren't going to trade me. DeMar, you need to chill, bruh. You need to chill. DeMar DeRozan is not good enough to think he can't get traded no matter what. DeMar, if you're, listen. DeMar DeRozan is a 20, 22 point score, right? I, I was thinking about this. Is DeMar DeRozan a top 20 player in the NBA? And I had to think about it. And I was like, maybe, probably bottom 20. Not top 15. Probably bottom 20, right? And you can make an argument he's not top 20, right? You could make that argument. He's top 25. So, Damar, you're not good enough to think you can't get traded. You're not LeBron. You're not Kobe. You're not KD. You're not Anthony Davis. It's like what Draymond Green said about Paul Pierce. They don't love you like Kobe. You ain't Kobe. You'll never be Kobe. DeMar, you're not that guy. And, and no problem against you. And it's nothing, and I'm not trying to say any ill will or saying that it's not wrong that he's lied to because it is wrong that he's lied to. And you shouldn't lie. You shouldn't fib, as my mom would say. You shouldn't do that. But God, you're getting paid millions of dollars to play a game, and you're not even good enough to justify not getting traded. You know the players you don't trade, like I said, Kobe, LeBron, KD, Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson. Those are the players you don't trade. You can trade DeMar DeRozan. A player that I think is the equivalent of DeMar DeRozan is Blake Griffin. Blake Griffin got traded. He went from L.A. to Detroit. The NBA is all about the player exerting power. Kevin Durant leaves OKC, goes to the Golden State Warriors. LeBron James leaves Cleveland, goes to the Miami. LeBron comes back to Cleveland. Then LeBron James leaves Cleveland again, goes to the Los Angeles Lakers. Chris Paul demands a trade from New Orleans back in the day. Carmelo Anthony demands a trade from the Denver Nuggets back in the day. DeMarcus Cousins signs with the Golden State Warriors. Kawhi Leonard demands a trade out of San Antonio. The NBA has, NBA players have all the power, right? All the power for the elite players. And they've gone, I mean... So, the fact that DeMar and other people are saying crime, well, listen. This is how it is. DeMar, I'm sorry. You're in a situation where you are a borderline top 20 player and a top 3 player in the NBA was available because he wanted out. So, you got swapped. DeMar DeRozan, I will tell you this. If you were as good as Kawhi Leonard, Toronto wouldn't have traded you for Kawhi Leonard. If DeMar DeRozan was Kevin Durant, he wouldn't have been traded. <laughs> he wouldn't have been traded. As a matter of fact, if DeMar DeRozan didn't stank up the joint against LeBron James in the Eastern Conference semifinals this year after the Toronto Raptors had the number one seed in the Eastern Conference at 59 wins and got swept and got embarrassed. And in game four, the last thing you saw was him getting benched and then him purposely getting himself ejected. And then Dwayne Casey getting fired and everybody in the Toronto's panicking. Same old baby dinosaur rafters. If you would have beat LeBron James and that pitiful Cleveland Cavaliers team. Then yeah, you'd be here. You'd be in Toronto. 
So I'm not with it. I, I, I'm not with it. I'm really not. So Damar, I know it. Life sucks. You don't got to live in Canada anymore. You get to live in San Antonio. Life is so bad, man. I mean, I'm sorry. I am sorry. I'm sorry. Shoot. I'll move to Toronto right now for for $100 million. Shoot. I'll pack up. (laughs) I'll pack up right now. Bring my mic, everything. Bring my bed. Bring everything to live in Toronto, right? For $100 million? I'm paying money to go to college in Ohio. They not paying me money. Shoot, you give me $100 million. Daryl D. Lane is there. I am wherever you want me to be for $100 million. Sign me up, no questions asked. And you're going to a better situation. You're going to get coached by Greg Popovich. You're going to play with the San Antonio Spurs, one of the best organizations of pro sports. Greg Popovich will unlock you, DeMar DeRozan. You're going to be coached hard, you're going to be coached tough, and you'll be a better player for it. Stop whining. Stop the complaining. Stop the sympathy. I'm not for it. Now, come up next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. We're going to have somebody I am for. Mason McKenrick. Coming up next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. back with Barbershop Sports Talk. We have a very special guest with us, Mason McKenrick, who was playing with the Baltimore Ravens, if I'm correct, and then they uh, let you go. Went to John Carroll, All-American there. How are you doing, Mason? I'm doing good. How's it going? Doing great. So the first thing I want to ask you is, you go through the whole process of, uh, you know, having NFL teams talk to you, right? You're uh, on draft night. You go undrafted, though. What was that moment like, though? Because you were undrafted when you got that phone call. I'm assuming from the Baltimore Ravens, and they're like, "We want you on our team. We want you to come into our OTAs, our mini camp." What was that experience like, and what was that feeling like? Uh, it was unbelievable. I mean, it was uh, truly a dream come true. Um, something I've been working for uh, my entire life, and um, growing up being such a huge lover of the, the game of football, uh, it just Now, who was it that called you? Um, it was my agent. My agent got the deal from uh, Baltimore, and then he called me and gave me uh, the good news. Now, did you always think that Baltimore was a team that was interested in you, or was it a shock, or were there other teams that were talking to you? How did that sort of unfold? Um, they were the – they were. I was expecting to go to Baltimore. Um, they were the most uh, interested in me throughout the whole process, uh, gave me the most attention, talked to me the most. Uh, met with me the most. Um, I mean, there were a couple other teams, not many, uh, that were interested. Um, but it was, it was relief because I wanted to go to Baltimore. That's where I, went, I saw myself playing. Uh, that's where I saw myself fitting in uh, with, the, with the team. So um, it, was, it was expected. So when did you realize, because you were undrafted, you weren't you weren't highly tired of coming out of high school, you know, like schools like Alabama and stuff weren't recruiting you. When did you realize, you know, going to a small school like John Carroll, that's Division One, that hey, you know, I, I can play in the NFL, I could do this. Um, so like I said, it was like a dream I had growing up. Um, but all it took was somebody else to share the same dream with me for it to become to start becoming a reality. 
And uh, that took place after my freshman year. Uh, my D coordinator that year, Chris Shula, who's now with the Los Angeles Rams, uh, he was accepting at the time a job with the LA Chargers. And uh, he called me down to his office. I thought it was a typical meeting. And uh, he was telling me the news that he was accepting that job. And uh, he spoke very highly of me, gave me high praise. And he told me um, that in four years, he thought if I gained uh, 30 pounds, which I was 195 at that time, uh, if I gained the 30 pounds that he thinks I had the talent to play in the league. So from that point on, I mean, it truly uh, just sparked uh, a fire inside me, and I kept it to myself for the first, uh, for the following year and a half, <clears throat> excuse me, the following year and a half uh, through my sophomore year, and then up until after my junior year, uh, I kept it to myself, and then uh, I had a real successful junior year, and that's when it re really became uh, started becoming a reality, and uh, more people kept asking me the question about it, if I was going to give the league a shot, and uh, people before they even asked me that said good luck at the next level and stuff like that, so it was kind of a, it became a reality around junior year, but to, in my own perspective, it was a reality since after my freshman year in college. Now, when you go to Baltimore, you went to their OTAs, if I'm correct, or their rookie minicamp? Okay, so what was that experience like when you step foot and you walk in that door? Uh, I mean, it was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and I was so thankful for the opportunity. Um, it was, you know, there's treatment there that, I mean, I've never could imagine in my life. I mean, five-star five uh, facilities everywhere, you know. And um, going in there, I was, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> sorry, um, going there, um, I knew that I was going to have to work extra hard, you know, coming from a disadvantage of a D3, uh, D3 school and not getting the disadvantage of not having that much exposure. Um, so I knew I was going to have to prove myself. And um, the only thing I was under the impression that I was going to show up and play uh, safety uh, or cover linebacker on, like, third down in pass passing situations, and I was thrown at it inside linebacker right off the bat. So... Um, that was a challenge when I was there, but I was able to overcome it and show them my talents. Um, so, I mean, that was, like I said, it was an unbelievable experience. Now, when you talk about the facility, just explain, like, how big the facility is or, like, what type of stuff in it that's so different from being at a place like John Carroll, a Division three school. Like, how the facility differs. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, uh, it's called the Under Armour Performance Facility. So, Under Armour is a huge, uh, huge part in that. So, every, I mean, you can just, you can imagine the type of facilities had. I mean, you have uh, hot tubs and cold tubs that can fit, you know, up to like 15, 20 guys in it for recovery. Uh, full hands-on training staff whenever you need it. Um, there's massage therapists. Um, the technology nowadays with, uh, like, concussion uh, pre-tests and preparation on how to handle that is, you know, something I've never seen before. Uh, in the equipment room, there's, like, a foot scanner that uh, told me, suggested to me what shoe would fit my uh, foot best. I mean, it was just like insane from top bottom that I've never seen before. Now, you mentioned that you thought you were going to come in, you were going to play safety, then it comes off right at the bat and they're saying you're playing inside, middle linebacker. When you, when you, when, when it's that shock, like, what's your reaction? Like, okay, I mean, I didn't really kind of prepare for that, or is it like, okay, let's go, let's do this? Um, Uh, I knew the reality of the situation that uh, if they saw me at playing inside linebacker, that I was 
most likely going to be uh, released at the end of rookie minicamp after those three days. And um, and sure enough, I you know I eventually was, but I got over it quick. I you know I thought to myself, you know, I've always been one to bet on myself to show you know who I am. Uh, nobody tells me you know I've never took kindly to someone tell me that I can't do something. So. Uh, with that being said, I went out there and I, you know, did it to my best ability, uh, trying to take on double teams with two guys that are like 320 pounds and I'm weighing 210 pounds. was definitely challenging, um, but I did enough to showcase uh, my talents and the potential that I could have if I was at 230, um, which is the weight they wanted me at inside linebacker. So uh, they sent me home and told me to get my weight to as close as 230 as I can, and um, and then they would call me back for fall camp. So I went home and I gained that 20 pounds. And I, I was 230 pounds, and uh, I was expecting a phone call back. So so you weigh 230 now? Uh, yeah. So how was that process getting up? Because you said you weighed about 195 pounds when you were a freshman in college. So how did you? How were you able to build up your body while maintaining your athleticism, while maintaining your speed? Um, it's just all diet and exercise and uh, doing mobility work to make sure that you're properly with getting all that weight um i mean it's really all about effort and the will and the want to do something so with that i mean you got to be dedicated in the weight room you got to be dedicated in the way you eat and uh nourish your body and whatnot so um it wasn't too challenging um i mean i gained 20 pounds in like 12 days after i got cut so and it all stayed on its good weight as well but it's just strict diet and exercise that uh, go hand in hand in order to do that. Now, what's your training regimen been like, if you can explain that a little bit? What type of workouts, what type of exercises have you been doing? Um, so it's a lot of mass and muscle uh, building uh, to build volume uh, on your body. So it's a lot of, uh, I did two weeks of set, uh, 10 rep max. So I did like squat for 10 rep max, bench for 10 rep max, hang clean. And that's just to help build volume. And then after that two weeks, um, I would do uh, max sets of five, so five rep max for squat, bench, hand cleaning. And then it went down to three two weeks later. And um, I would weight train Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and I would do speed and mobility work uh, Tuesday and Thursdays. Now, I want to know, I want to go back to Ravens camp for a second. What was the one thing that shocked you when you went to Ravens camp that I guess you weren't expecting? Now, what was the difference for you? Because you said you were kind of making that transition to safety a little bit. You played linebacker, John Carroll. What's the difference between playing safety and linebacker? Um, you just get five extra yards to run at somebody before you are able to tackle them. Um, I mean, you're able to, your vision opens up uh, more when you're 10 yards back or uh, 12 yards back, whatever it may be, at the safety position. So you're able to uh, break down each play uh, as a whole perspective. Um, instead of a linebacker where you have to you have five yards to react and it's like less than a couple seconds to be able to react and make a play um, it's a lot faster pace at linebacker than 
is for safety as far as breeds go. So did you get to come in contact with a guy like Jim Harbaugh at all? Uh, yeah, absolutely. What, what, what type of guy is he? Like, can you just explain that a little bit? Uh, he's passionate. Uh, he loves the game. Uh, he cares for his players uh, tremendously. I mean, he's a great coach, great ideas, great uh, morals and values and everything. I mean, I can't even begin to talk as highly as him, you know, as highly of him. Uh, I mean, from what I got to know of him, he's pretty – and did you get to come in contact with Lamar Jackson at all? Uh, briefly. Briefly. Yeah. How fast is he? If you if you've gotten to see that or witness that. Uh, he's pretty fast. There's a couple plays where he was running away from me, uh, but he's definitely got some speed on him. Uh, he as well is a great guy. I mean, he's going to be very successful in the in the National Football League. That's for sure. So you mentioned, like, you know, being in the NFL, playing in the NFL, that's always been a dream, that's always been an ambition, that's always been a passion of yours. What player, if any, did you, like, look up growing, like, like look up to growing up, like, hey, I, I want to kind of emulate him a little bit, I want to kind of take something that he did and, you know, add that to my own game. What guy was that for you? Um, there wasn't, there wasn't, there's was a lot of players I looked up to. I, you know, I focused my game and modeled my game after bits and pieces of what certain players do well that I admire watching. Um, there isn't one person that I try to like model myself out of uh, after. Um, I did, you know, grow up, or I did enjoy watching, you know, Ray Lewis playing, how his emotion and passion behind the game. Uh, Cam Chancellor uh, with his size and his ability to move uh, and move fast and move well. Um, Brian Chazier, uh, he, the way he's able to go sideline to sideline with such a high motor and make plays. Um, there's a lot of players that I've take part after their game and mold it into my game. Now, being an NFL linebacker, what do you think is the most important thing that you need to be a successful NFL linebacker? Um, know your playbook and be confident. Um, definitely knowing your playbook, uh, it slows the game down, knowing what, uh, what you have to do each in and out of each play, um, because people look to you to make calls uh, and set the defense. So, if you know what you're doing, it makes it a lot easier to help everybody else understand what they have to do or help people that uh, may be lined up wrong, you know what I'm saying, and help them get aligned correctly and whatnot. When I think of linebacker, I think of like a communicator, I think of leader, like you see like Ray Lewis, like, you know, he's probably the most obvious example, you know, with all the clap stuff, all getting in the sideline, getting in people's faces, and I always feel like linebacker's kind of like the quarterback of the defense. You think that's important to have that communication aspect at the middle linebacker spot? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, all all over defense. I mean, it doesn't matter what position you play. If you communicate as a defense, you're one fine oiled machine. Uh, it increases your chance of success. I mean, unbelievably, because you can. And it starts with the linebacker, because the linebacker, you know, relays the call, sets the fronts, and uh, typically does all that pre pre snap of the play. Um, so yeah, most definitely, uh, that's important. Now, what do you think playing at a school like John Carroll helped prepare you for that maybe if you went to a bigger school that you wouldn't have been as prepared in some aspect or, or area? Um, definitely the coaches that I played under. Um, they do a fantastic job uh, under both coaching staffs with the Tom Arth, uh staff that he had and as well as Rick Finati. Uh They make it a D1 field there, uh, the way they handle the program and uh, handle themselves is makes it like a D1 feel, and uh, it allowed me 
to get exposure uh, being at a lower level because it allowed me to play sooner. Uh, if I would have went to a bigger school, I may have uh, been caught up in the system or uh, coming together as a team, uh, not even uh, with the offseason. They just created an environment where you know we had leaders on our team that could get guys together and uh, do training in the offseason. Uh, we had lifting times to lift together in the offseason. Um, there would just be such a team camaraderie uh, throughout John Carroll that the coaches set that environment with that, you know, it just felt like you were a professional, that you were there uh, to get a job done, and uh, you'll have fun doing it. Now, what would you say has been the most uh, – your favorite moment playing at John Carroll, you know, your best moment when you're like, wow, like that was awesome? Now, I just want to know, and maybe this had no part in, like, you believing that you could play in the NFL or not, but I'll ask. Do you think when you see a guy like, you know, a London Fletcher, you see, you know, a guy like Josh McDaniels that's coaching the New England Patriots, when you see guys like that that have been through the football program and have had success in the NFL one way or another, does that kind of make you think, yeah, you know, I can do this, I can be just like them? So something I want to ask you is lots of people have been talking about, you know, the rules changing in football in terms of, like, how you hit. You have to keep your head up. How, how, do, you, how do you feel about all those changing of the rules in terms of hitting? How hard is it to react when, when you're out on the field and you're trying to make the right angle on hit? How hard is it just to react and like change position? Time thing. Um, sometimes you get caught in the wrong position at the wrong time. 
And my last question for you is, who do you think is the best defensive player in the NFL right now? Why those two guys? What do they do uh, that's... Just being a, an elite defensive end that changes the game in such a way that uh, makes it so difficult for offenses to uh, get anything done if you got a pass rusher and a run stopper on the edge. Uh, being able to make plays and affect the quarterback and uh, play in and play out. Um, and their, you know, their athleticism, their speed, uh, just, you know, it's something crazy. Mason, I want to thank you for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Now, coming up next, after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk, I'm going to preview the AFC East because we're going to switch it up. I, before, I was doing, you know, team by team. We're not going to have enough time to do that before the NFL season. I was just looking at a calendar. I was like, holy crap. That's not going to work. So we're just going to do the whole AFC East. We're going to do division by division. Come up next, after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. back on Barbershop Sports Talk. Once again, I want to thank Mason McKenrick for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. As soon as I texted him, he was like, yeah, you know, let's do it. Uh, really quick to respond. Really appreciate him coming on. Uh, had to work out, you know, was able to spend some time, come on the show. Really appreciate him doing that. The guy has a lot of other stuff he could be doing, obviously, you know, training, trying to get in the NFL. So I really appreciate him coming on. But now it's time. We're going to do this. And I'm going to start. We're going to do our division by division for preview for the NFL for the show. Uh, week by week, and oh, it, it was going to be easier anyway because, like I said, I could not do one team every week. That was not going to work. So we're just going to do a division week by week by week, and that's going to be a lot easier, a lot smoother. So we're going to start with the AFC East, my favorite division because it has my team, Buffalo Bills, Bills Mafia. So here's my division preview for the AFC East. The one team in the AFC East, the team that I think will finish atop the standings, will be number one in the division this year, no surprise, the New England Patriots. I think the New England Patriots are going to be around 13-3, 12-4. Now, here's what, where I am with the New England Patriots. Best team in the division. Best quarterback, best head coach, best organization, best offensive mind and offensive coordinator with Josh McDaniels. John Carroll alum, by the way. Tom Brady is playing better than ever. Had an 103 quarterback rating, 32 touchdowns, 66.3 completion percentage, MVP year. His accuracy is still there, and his arm is still strong. They're going to mix and match their pieces on offense. We all know about the guys like Rob Gronkowski, the ones that can create a mismatch nightmare anytime. Mismatch nightmare anytime they're on the field. Gronk's going to do what Gronk does. But the other guys, James White. Rex Burkhead, Sony Michelle, Julian Edelman, Chris Hogan, Philip Dorsett, Jordan Matthews, a bunch of guys for Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, Josh McDaniels to mix and match and to find ways to exploit the defense. You're going to see a lot of guys. Some guys are going to have 10 receptions, 130 yards. The next game, they're going to have two rushes for 10 yards. It's going to be like that type of thing with New England, like they always do. New England has a solid defense. Pro Football Focus ranked them as the third best run defense in the NFL. They also have some playmakers. A guy like Devin McCourty, who I think is a top three safety in the NFL. Dante Hightower, 
who I believe is maybe the most underrated defender in the NFL. So they're going to have a lot of guys that can make plays. Bill Belichick will have this team coached up by the end of the year. New England, they always give up yards, but they never give up points. So that's why I have New England finishing 13-3. and I think they're going to go 5-1 and against all the teams in the AFC East. I think they're going to sue everybody. I don't think anybody's in this team's class. I think maybe they lose that vaunted away game to the Miami Dolphins when it's, you know, it's hot and nobody wants to play up there and they just get their arses kicked. I think that's what's going to happen. Now... The team I've had finishing second in the division. And I really had to think about this, but I'm going to go with the Buffalo Bills, begrudgingly. I think the Bills, and here's my problem with the Bills. This team will struggle to score on offense. Like, this team is remedial on offense, to put it quite simply. It's remedial on offense. The Bills are going to be uh, seventh grade offense where it's just run the ball with LaShawn McCoy every time. No creativity, nothing dynamic. That's what it's going to be. And depending on what happens with Shady and the domestic violence allegations with his girlfriend, alleged I don't want to get too much into that, then this would drop the Bills even further. I'm assuming LaShawn McCoy will play and he will be the same LaShawn McCoy that is dynamic and as talented and as quick and fast as ever. The Bills don't have an offensive line. Eric Wood, retired. Richie Incognito got cut, left the team. And Cordy Glenn was traded. You're missing three big guys that were big man stays on the offensive line this year for the Buff- last year for the Buffalo Bills. Not spectacular quarterback play. Whether you love or hate Josh Allen, I'm on more of the hate side, but Josh Allen has potential. Or if it's A.J. McCarron or Nathan Peterman, none of those guys right away this year will be game changers at the quarterback position. They're not going to be Tom Brady. They're not going to be Drew Brees. They're not going to light up the scoreboard. You're going to have to manage the game, keep things simple with these guys. And then the receiving options. There are none. Calvin Benjamin is probably the best receiver they have right now. Or Zay Jones is talented. But last time we heard of Zay Jones... He was fighting somebody naked at a convenience store. So right now we're with Kelvin Benjamin, who can't separate. This team will struggle to score 13 points a game, like I said. There are going to be a lot of 16, 13-point games with the Bills this year. But here's where I think the Bills are going to get their seven wins and why I think the Bills will be solid. And if the Bills can get their offense together functionally, the Bills will be close to 10 wins because they're going to have a top five, top three defense in the NFL. Bar none. Sean McDermott, he's a wizard on the defensive side of the ball. He preaches discipline. He preaches toughness. He preaches play your scheme, play your gap. They're going to have guys like safety, Micah High, safety, Jordan Pryor. Two guys that just make plays over the field, all over the field. You have corners like Vontae Davis, who's a very good cornerback. And Tredavious White, who had a great rookie season for the Buffalo Bills last year. Pass rushers like Jerry Houston, get after the quarterback. Star Lou Tulele, who's a great run stuffer. And a guy like Tremaine Edmonds. Middle linebacker out of Virginia Tech who people have been raving about. He's going to beat the Luke Keekley for Sean McDermott's defense. And he's going to be a force in the middle. And I think so. I think he's going to have a 100 tackle season, be defensive rookie of the year. This defense will be in, be dynamic. This defense will be good. This defense will be tough to run against. This defense will be tough to pass against. And that's why I think the Bills will be in every game they play this year. Now third, I have the Miami Dolphins. And I have the Miami Dolphins at 7-9 and nine as well. I, I think the Bills and the Dolphins are interchangeable. Here's what I like about the Dolphins. Adam Gase. He's going to get the most he possibly can out of the, this offense in Miami. I know Ryan Tannehill, he's a me, he's kind of mediocre, right? Uh, not, not the greatest throw of the football, but he's young, he's athletic, and he can make some plays with his feet, and, and he has a decent arm. And Tannehill did get the Dolphins to the postseason in 2016 before he got hurt and Matt Moore took over. 
The receivers are talented in Miami. They have a guy like Danny Amendola, very productive slot receiver. Devontae Parker, talented receiver, just needs to put it all together out of Louisville. Devontae Parker just needs to get it together, put it all together, and Devontae Parker can be special. The run defense is shaky. You have Pro Football Focus, who rated them as the worst run-stopping defense in the NFL. Kiko Alonso is not a good linebacker against the run. But, he, but, but here's the thing where Miami, I think, will win games on defense. Their pass rush. Kiko Alonso, one of the best coverage linebackers in the NFL. You have Robert Quinn, who's a 10-sack guy coming in for the Los Angeles Rams. Cameron Wake, who's still like 34, 35 years old, still one of the best pass rushers in the NFL. Allen Branch, 4.5 sacks last year. Charles Harris, young, talented defensive end out of Missouri, had like five sacks last year. And there's some promising young defenders on this team, like Micah Fitzpatrick, safety out of Alabama, who should be an instant impact player. I think Tremaine Edmonds is going to be an instant impact player for the Bills, be the leader of that defense. I think Minka Fitzpatrick is going to do the same thing for the Miami Dolphins. Coached by Nick Saban. The Jets I have as the doormat, as the dweller, as the fourth and the worst team in the AFC East. They have a mediocre offense, mediocre quarterback play, not a lot of receiving options, not a real running game. That is a recipe that I think will have them ending up at 3-13. and 13. I think they have a solid defense. They have a decent piece on the defensive line with Leonard Williams, who, who can be explosive, who can make plays, who can mess plays up, who can be in the backfield, penetrating the backfield. Their secondary, I think, will keep this team in a lot of games. I think their second, the Jets' secondary can be very good this year. Marcus May, one of the best young safeties in the NFL. Like 79 tackles last year. Jamal Adams out of LSU last year. It's going to be his second year as a pro. Jamal Adams already making claim that he's up there with guys like Lionel Collins from the New York Giants. Jamal Adams will be a very good safety. And not only that, you have a Mo Claiborne who's a solid corner. The pass rush was ranked worst in the NFL by Pro Football Focus. They won't be able to get after the quarterback like they should, which will put the secondary in tough positions. While I think the secondary, while it's talented and will make plays, will also have their fair struggles because you're holding up in coverage all game long because the other team can't get after, because your team can't get after the quarterback. And that's it for my AFC East predictions. New England Patriots 1, 13-3. Buffalo Bills 2, 7-9. Miami Dolphins 3, 7-9. They have them both interchangeable with a 2-3 spot. And the New York Jets, the division basement dweller at 3-13. Now coming up next on Barbershop Sports Talk, at the top of the hour, 1 o'clock Eastern Time, we're going to be entering our LM Radio Network only hour of the show. So if you're listening on SoundCloud right now, the show will end as always. But if you're on Allen and Radio Network or the Columbia, South Carolina radio app, you'll be continue with me and Barbershop Sports Talk. It's the top of the hour. we got a lot of good stuff for you. We're going to have my man, Noah Taluki, coming on the show, who I co-host What's Your Take With, which can be found on WJCU Television on YouTube. I'm going to have Noah on. We're going to talk a, little, a lot of baseball. Also going to talk a little bit about some football because Noah is a huge Detroit sports fan, particularly a huge Lions fan. So I'll talk to him about Matt Patricia, Jim Bob Cooter, Matthew Stafford, all of that for Noah Taluki. Also, we're going to talk more about the Kawhi Leonard, DeMar DeRozan trade from the Toronto Raptors with the San Antonio Spurs. Coming up next, after the break, on Barbershop Sports Talk. 